So this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker and Meg, why don't you run down what Inside Tracker is and what you can get? Yeah, so Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics. With a simple blood test and using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. And the good news for our listeners is for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash drop in. Hi, this is Thomas with Believe in the Run. This is Robbie with Believe in the Run. This is Megan with Believe in the Run. And fun fact, Robbie just learned what a commonwealth was, but we'll get into that later in this show. I know what a commonwealth is. I don't I didn't I don't understand the UK version of it or whatever. <laughs> the one that invented it. <laughs> so there's a United Kingdom, but then there's just a Commonwealth. Well, yeah. I, I'm already annoyed at all the YouTube comments we're gonna get, so I don't even want to talk about it. All right, so we'll move on. Hey, so we just finished up grit. I gotta tell you guys, I almost I had 7.36 miles to go on Sunday, mm-hmm. and I almost didn't make it to it. And I'll tell you what happened. Okay. Met, you know my son, Theo. He's, he's about my height, but he's like a golden retriever where he's got the big paws and big feet, and so he's, he's going to be much, much bigger than me. He's a bigger human than I am. Yeah, he could throw some stuff around Yeah, so a couple years. He's still a 13-year-old, though, and wanted his dad to stay in the swimming pool with him. Uh-huh. So he's like, every time I'm trying to get out, he keeps grabbing me and pulling me back in. Dunking you. Yeah, pretty much. He's like <laughs> beating me up. Uh, chicken of the sea. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I'm trying to get out of the pool and he keeps grabbing me and keeps dunking me. Like, come back in. And, you know, he's he's physically bigger than I am as far as like weight and everything like that. He's yeah. not, not chubby. He's just, just big. Yeah, we get it. Yeah. He's, um, he could take you in a fight is what you're saying. Pretty much. <laughs> Uh, so I'm trying to get out of the pool. So finally I see an opening where he's not paying attention. So I try to jump out of the pool as fast as I can. Mm-hmm. I jump out of the pool. My calf just locked up. Like oh, that pain, sounds like a grit thing. The pain I have <laughs> never had before. It felt like someone was punching me in the back of the head and I couldn't move my leg. And it was a, like, was it cramping? It was, cramping. dude, it was a rock. And he's trying to get me and drag me back in the pool. And I'm like, dude, dude, hold on one sec. <laughs> My leg. I need you to massage that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just, dude, I'm seriously injured here. Just leave me alone for a second. So I'm like, were you there, Megan? Yeah, but I didn't know what was happening. Yeah. So I finally, you know, it, it normally like it cramps up. And if you just relax a little bit, it uncramps. Yeah. But this one went on for like Ooh. 30 seconds of just like tremors. And while that's happening, the arch on my left <laughs> left foot cramps up so, so clearly you've been foam rolling this whole time yeah. right so i'm like <laughs> not dehydrated at all no. i'm like i'm like crippled on the side of the pool and um i'm freaking out and as soon as it does relax like normally it relaxes and it feels fine whatever but it relaxed and it felt like i had snapped a tendon or something uh, so and like if you do anything it's going to happen again yeah so obviously i needed some more uh salt stick in my water or something but uh, we, we, cause what I did is I did my 16 miles or whatever 
and I drank on it, but it was a little cooler, so I didn't drink as much maybe as I did the previous mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the pool, and our pool has like the like service. Yeah. So we ordered uh, what? What did we have? Some Bottle sort of service. tequila. There was no alcohol in that drink whatsoever. Mine had alcohol. Really? It was just straight sour mix. It was. It was basically a strawberry, strawberry. daiquiri without liquor. The old. <laughs> I, I feel like mine had stuff in it because I got I got a little dizzy. Okay. Anyway. So I was probably a little dehydrated, but yeah, so I cramped up and that whole night, you know, those, uh, sleeves that we're supposed to be reviewing. Yeah. Ghost sleeves. Yeah. Ghost Throw sleeves. Them out there. I put that did on. I, I took. He did. Did, I, it work, did it help? I mean, I finished grit, but I don't know. <laughs> um, I put that on. I even went to bed with it. Mel and I, I took it off cause it was like bothering me, but, um, I, I did everything. Like I, I tried to foam roll. I drank copious amounts of water yeah just everything i could to make sure and so i started running i was like i think i can do this but it was a slow oh you did it slow easy it didn't bother you on the run though right i was you know when you're cautious of something like you kind of feel it and you want to make sure Mm -hmm. so i went real slow on the last run and took it easy but yeah i was able to finish and grit was grit was awesome for me because i went in not with a like a mileage goal I can't believe that. And then just kind of like see how it But went. you did 300 miles in the month. That's Three, crazy. Yeah. Finished I, out. This last week was 75 miles. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's really impressive. I think it's most impressive because of our schedule. Like yeah. clocking the miles while we were at Worlds <laughs> is pretty sure. impressive. Like that, that, that was crazy. By the time we went to Worlds, I was determined. I was like, I, I didn't know. I hadn't done the math. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I want to put myself in a position if I want to do 300. Okay. There you go. Wow. But yeah. Meg, you went over 300. I just, did. Just, so just sh- normal training. But just so you couldn't beat her. Probably <laughs> that was the only reason why. <laughs> no, I thought he was going to try and get more mileage just to say he had the top mileage in the office. But um, on that last day, he was just going to clock the bare minimum. Yeah, I thought about like, I was like, if I feel good on the last day, you know, maybe I'll just go and see how far I can go. Yeah. I was like, I almost stopped at like 7.36, but I was like, I'll just do eight just to make sure that I cross over. That's good. And, but yeah. How many did you end up with me? I think it was 302 or 303 um, for the month. I mean, we were close, but the, the funny thing is that's just Megan doing her regular training. That's not grit miles. I will say I did my first, um, like long run workout in this build towards London on Saturday. Oh, wow. And for the first time since I can remember, I, it felt really good. Like I feel like the paces are coming along. I think my iron's finally coming up. I've been taking a, um, a supplement called Hemaplex, which is like a very, very high dose of iron um, to try and get my iron levels up, my ferritin levels specifically. How much, how many... Like how much of your daily percentage of iron is that? It's like four hundred percent. It's like eating a bar of iron. I think I needed to get more iron. But in it's me. because it's real hard to absorb iron, and so like half of that is probably just trash, and then it's like trying to get some of it to absorb into your bodies. Yeah. So Robbie, speaking of that, when I originally took iron, because I have high iron levels. Yeah. So iron, iron levels. <laughs> yeah, iron. Um, Ferritin is really what we're talking about. Right. Okay. So ferritin sounds I tried, like a rodent I keep as a pet. That's a ferret. Yeah. Um, the um, and in a tin. <laughs> um, but the uh, when I first started running, people were like, "You need iron," so I took it, and it it was bad for me because I think I had enough iron, so it kind of like locked up my system. 
So then and you couldn't go to the bathroom, right? Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. To, so that's to, a side effect of too much iron. Yeah. That, a lot of for a lot of people. Really? Yeah. yeah. So I never took it again for a long time. Yeah. And then until recently when um I did the inside tracker thing and Featherston looked at it and she was like, "You need you even though your iron and ferritin are high, mm-hmm. it's lower than it was when you're uh, when you're performing at your best." So she had me every other day. I've been taking iron, and I feel. A lot oh, better. every other day now. Yeah, so I, I take it every other day, and I took it Gosh, all through so much stuff through uh, <laughs> through through grit, <laughs> and I actually think it's part of the reason I was able to to get through grit. Okay, I might have to hit up the Hemoplex, dude. I went to the. Why don't you get inside tracker done, bud? I know I, I need to redo it again. Uh, I haven't done it in such a while. Um, so I went to get. I ran out of vitamins, and they didn't have them on Amazon. Or it was like two weeks shipping. And so I went to the one, the one, the vitamins. What is it? It's like nature something with the yeah, yellow. Those are good. Yeah, but they had the ones with iron. It was, it, they weren't in stock. Yeah. And so I went to the vitamin store. One of the GNC. Yeah. yeah. And they had like no vi- vitamins with iron added to them. Isn't that crazy? The guy was like checking the whole shelf up and down and finally think- found one that was made for bariatric surgery post oh boy and i was like oh that's a lot of vitamins plus iron yeah sure i'll take it see i wouldn't want a part of my so, daily i guess if i have that surgery anytime right. soon i'll be good i see i wouldn't want a part of daily just in case like you know oh if you, it does start off messing you and i don't make featherston told me to get that one. Oh, she did yeah all right she you maybe centrum silver <laughs> yeah it's a little price is right action there <laughs> remember those ads um <laughs> but yeah i don't know i i need to go back and do the updated uh, inside tracker i i will say the i i was kind of skeptical on inside tracker but because i've done it enough times now mm-hmm. uh, megan featherson's been able to look back over and what she basically did is she saw how I performed at the York Marathon where I had that blow up that made me cry. Yeah. Um, and she's like, your iron levels were the same level when you did that because I got right. the test done right afterwards as they were when okay. I felt real sluggish mm-hmm. uh, earlier. I think it's good, especially since you've done it. It's like to see like the trends, like are you going the right direction, the wrong direction, and if you are, like how to fix it. Yeah, I just need to take things seriously. I think that's the idea. <laughs> it seems like a lot of work but it's not like you just you go get your blood it takes literally five minutes no i get it yeah. yeah yeah uh there's a lot of people that messaged me about my ankle stuff i saw yeah. that which i was like stop annoying me no i'm just kidding <laughs> um <laughs> i really appreciated it but it was i'm like man now i have to hold myself accountable to do things are you gonna do those exercises they all suggested yeah, I mean, there's a wide array of things, so I'm kind of have to figure that I'm out. Telling you the easiest way is just get that acupuncture and be done with it. I guess it seems I don't know. Some... They got the magic healing arts. You already yeah. take that Chinese medicine when you got COVID. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> For no, if you don't know, somebody, our one friend from Deodora, he's a wild guy. Yeah, now he's with CLA. Yeah, he's he's a good dude, but he gave me this Chinese. It's very common, I think, in Chinese. Uh, households to take this medicine like it's that's why you can just buy it you can buy it like walmart or wherever and he gave me this medicine i think it helped wait like, i didn't know this oh yeah alex <laughs> he always just like gives us random stuff and i think it was the same time when we went up there that first time 
And he told us about the doctor that was just like, if you just take a Epsom salt bath every yeah. day. But that actually kind of worked, right? It does. And then he, <laughs> but he also like had this like basement wine that somebody made or something that he gave to us. Basement wine? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It was, and it was like, he's it? like, there, there's this guy that just makes this and he gave us bottles of it. It was like limoncello or something like that. It was like super sweet though. But anyway, so he gave me this Chinese medicine and I figured, okay, it came when I had COVID, it was like, might as well take this in addition to whatever. I guess that's really all I took, ibuprofen. Wait, the Chinese medicine was for your ankle or for COVID? Oh, that was for COVID, but Tom, or that was just, a, it, it's like a thing that. It could probably fix his ankle too. Yeah, I think it's like okay. one of those miracle cures, so <laughs> whatever. It's It genuinely is a thing that uh, I think like Chinese or Hong Kong, like in that culture, whatever, like they it's they like use. chicken soup. It's okay. like they give it to them. Like that's all they take. It's their ginger ale and soup at yeah, home. Yeah, because okay. I, I did Google it just to see what the deal was with it. And it, it tastes a little like licorice okay. like whatever. Wait, you just didn't swallow it? Yeah. Uh, Eat it? No, I mean, it's a syrup. Oh, okay. And then, but Scissor? I did take it. I will say, <laughs> I did rebound pretty quickly. I tried to give it to my kids at one point and they weren't having it. <laughs> But it's it's a legit stuff. But anyways, I guess I could take that for my ankle. I never thought about that, but prob- probably won't. I mean, <laughs> that and some acupuncture, and you'll be fine. You'll be back yeah. up. But I, I, some of the suggestions, I think some people said like there's balance boards too. I just bought one of those. Did you really? I did. Which one did you get? I got um, the Mobo, or it it's, it oh. was ex- it was way too expensive. I didn't want to tell Megan. <laughs> Why don't we it. just do it for a review? Because uh, I, I just, I was like, I, I've wanted one for a long time, and I've always been like, this is ridiculous. Why? It's a board with a, a round piece of wood. Is it this one? Yeah, it's like that, but it's it's, it's, a little bit it's more like a surfboard one. Oh, okay. Um, that looks fancy. Yeah, that one. They're they're like two hundred dollars. Wow. I mean, like if you look at balance board on, uh, I think it's like Indigo or something is the one I got. Oh right. If you look it up on Amazon. Uh, I bought one that is actually blank, so I could put the Believe in the Run logo on it, and then you spray paint the grip on top of oh, it. Oh, Indo board. Yeah, that's what I got. I feel like that's one of those things when you go to the beach, they're trying to sell you. They, they are. Like, There's someone standing on it uh-huh. all day long. Well, it's it's the, a lot of people use it for balance for surfing. The reason I got it was because all the workouts I'm doing for like Sally McRae and all that stuff that I'm doing in those. Are you workouts, still doing those, by yeah. the way? And they. Um, they balance is like one of the key things. And I was like, as you get older, it's harder and harder mm. to balance. So I was like, if I get one of these and just spend a couple of minutes, you know, on it, you know, working my balance, then I'll stick those little supportive muscles will stay good. So did you just watch TV and stand on it? Or yeah, something? I'll, I'll throw on TV or something and just do like 10 minutes. You haven't it. wrecked on it yet? I just got, it's, it's, it's arriving. Oh. It's arriving Thursday. Okay. I know that's, I'm like, Thomas is not allowed to be on like any wheeled things. Like this is making me so nervous. <laughs> but, look, Keep him away from glass tables. I've had, I know, right? we had, so there, one, there's been a balance board in our family before. So I have, I've used You one adopted before. one into your yeah, family before. I did. <laughs> <laughs> he grew up. <laughs> it's been there. But it, it is, I, I probably, you can, there's certain ways that you can mitigate the risk. One of okay. them is like do it on carpet. So that the, mm. the it doesn't the little wood roller part doesn't roll too fast. Makes sense. But all right, well, maybe I was thinking maybe about seeing if go ahead reach try out it. to them. Yeah, if we can get one for the office, 
That'd be good. Or for your house. You don't yeah. want. I guess you could do that stand like a stand up desk. Do that. That'd be They have one okay. for the stand up desk. We do not need to have balance could, boards and add the And then no. I could juggle monkeys uh, while I was typing. All right. So <laughs> mission to get Robbie's ankle back together is possibly balanced. I do think it would help. Because the supportive muscles it yeah break, makes... break a leg while he's working <laughs> it's <laughs> totally fine Honestly, at this point i don't care <laughs> you know that'd be funny to come over i'll have a helmet on <laughs> you doing yeah. in a cage um yeah uh what, what else was i gonna ask about that oh i want to say thank you to thomas i guess i could say thank you in the outro for getting me a jeweler's what is it jeweler's loop yeah you asked for one last last week you yeah. said you want one and I didn't even oh, know it was as cool. Down here. I didn't know it was as cool as the. It turned out I got him a decent one. Like, what's it got? I mean, I don't know if it's like. I mean, it works. It's awesome. It has two lights on. It has a black light option, and you didn't I, even see I that. Think that's to look for what diamonds you, or something. Yeah. What are yeah. you gonna do with it? And uh, it has just that regular light option, and then of course you can look at things very closely. So I've been just inspecting the general. I mean, we area looked at the Nova me. Blast three. We did. It was cool. You had to check it out. And the mesh upper mm-hmm. is like a little chain link fence. Of it's like plastic little like chain. Yeah, like yeah. chain link. The reviews are going to get real detailed. They, they are. I mean, I think it's a new angle for us. We're going to take some mushrooms, <laughs> get the jeweler's loop out. Dude, if other turn. reviewers start to cop- we, copying our jeweler's loop idea, I'm going to be mad. Yeah. <laughs> it well, it was pretty much. I, well, why did you want one? Like, why did what was the comment that you made? And I was like, if he wants one of these so bad, I'll just get it. I don't remember the actual comment, but I always think they look cool when when people are looking at things closely. And I thought, what's you know, I'm curious about stuff. What a, what's more curious? What stokes a curiosity more than what is unseen? That's why we're la- looking. At, that's why we're going out into space, right? So, what was that? Space is right here, bro. <laughs> inner space um what's the 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 web telescope of of the office yeah but going in Mm -hmm. we're gonna have first thoughts full review jeweler's loop yeah i like that (laughs) um well i was thinking we could it would be cool to take photos if you can take photos of the magnification up close that's probably can now here's the crazy thing is i was like it was right after we had had the podcast last week and i'm like these jewelry's loops can't be that much so i go on amazon and I'm actually looking down at my phone, walking Ralphie, and I just hit purchase. And I look up, there's Robbie right there. Oh, like, when you're yeah, around, I, yeah. like, I was like, ah, oh, it's just. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, just doing it. So, and the other thing that Robbie got, which I'm excited for him, is we've already got, Meg and I just finished up the video review and we've already written the review. So it's just a pair for you to feel the, the mm. joy of what this shoe is. Yeah. Probably my favorite year, this favorite shoe I've run in this year. Um, Robbie got his pair of Nova Blast 3 today. Yeah, I'm wearing them right now, actually. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, I did think that was crazy. Jeweler's Loop only costs like $11. Yeah. Man, times are all good. This, all this time you've been like wishing you had one, and it was so accessible. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I just feel like something like that where you can explore a whole new world should be more expensive. It's not fair. I was surprised the LED lights <laughs> you know really make a difference. <laughs> yeah, they do. I, and another thing that was good this week, I'll bring up another thing that uh, I'm I'm happy about. Bagels came back. Oh, to your house? Yeah. Megan, start making them again? I yeah. made bagels on Sunday morning. I didn't know they were gone. I just... We've been traveling. We've been doing so much and like, oh. you know, it takes some time. So finally had a morning that I could make it happen. So this morning I was able to have a jalapeno cheddar bagel what? with uh, egg and ham and cheese. 
sandwich. You need to get some. I promised me you'll get some Taylor ham at some point. All right. Taylor pork roll. All right. Fry that up. Put it on the egg sandwich. May put that on our grocery shopping list. What did you get that at like a regular grocery store? You can get it around here. I think it's mo- biggest in New Jersey, which I don't, like, don't trust things that are big in New Jersey. Here's, I, <laughs> here's Teeter. They have it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got to have it, right? I don't know. No, I, they do. I know some grocery stores around here. I've got it before at that. Weiss Market that you give what's, me the gift card to. What's the Hamden? Um, Weiss Market makes sense. Um, the, what's that one that's at the end of our street that's like in Ham, like the Hamden Market? Or not, no, what's, oh, Sprouts? No, the one that's right like the... <laughs> Highland Town Market? Yeah. Yeah. They have chicken feet. Like they got to have... <laughs> They've got some crazy stuff. That's where I do all my grocery shopping. For real? Yeah, that should come as no surprise. That place, I mean, Did they it? have some things that I, I never would know how to cook, like... Literally, you can buy chicken feet. Yeah, what do you do with that? Uh, you can. Oh, where was I? I was listening to a podcast last week about someone who bought do, chicken feet. Do they put it in soup? Um, yeah, I think you can just. It's the same thing as like pig's feet or anything else. I can, also I don't, don't buy know pig's, what you do feet. With pig's feet. No. They just sell all the parts. So that store is, you know, because Highland Town's pretty Latino, so they they have everything you could ever want there. Which always made me think it would be cool to really learn how to cook like. Like authentic like Latina cuisine, you know, or like uh, Mexican cuisine, like real because they have all the ingredients you could ever need there. Yeah, it'd be it'd be pretty. Like there's plants in there that are uh, for that you never heard of. Yeah, sometimes I do that. I'll just see a plant that I never heard of, look it up online, just like recipe. What can you do with this? And just buy it and see what happens. Has uh, it worked out? Yeah, there is one. Um, I forget what it was. Yeah, sometimes it does work out. They also have all those like sodas that you've never heard of drinks. yeah they're like straight sugar <laughs> in in like food coloring it's like the, the colors you've never seen before 45 flavors of takis you're like i didn't even know this there's this many flavors of yeah. that anyways you know what may have added to my cramp this weekend is right afterwards really nice uh one of the faster bastards had a cooler at the end of the run and it had a topo chico in the hard seltzer oh, mm-hmm. in there so immediately when i finished I wasn't mm-hmm. even quite finished with my run, but I felt That's like nice. I could jog home. I made a little mistake that the bubbles made it a little hard to draw, run home, but... Yeah, that'll happen. Speaking of mistakes, I just Googled the chicken feet situation. Yeah, I didn't Pe- do it. People just eat them. Oh, straight up? Straight up eat them. Seems pretty chewy. Mm, okay. Yeah, I never thought that that would be... I don't think I want to do that. They seem skinny. They're high in collagen. Ah, so it would be good for us. Mm-hmm. Not bad, and probably a lot cheaper than buying collagen. It will help relieve joint pain, aid skin health, and prevent bone loss. Yeah, we should loss. do it sometime. Let's do it. I, Robbie, I'll, I'll do, do it, it with you. All right. Let's do a chicken, chicken feet. You should day. do one of our lo-fi reviews eating chicken feet. Oh, I'm out. Oh, that'd be so good. Yeah, Let's do it. definitely do it. And yeah, I think the lo-fi review went over pretty well. Oh, yeah, people loved it. I think yeah. we're, we I found something new. We've got an additional piece of content. we got to do some behind, between two oh. shoes, but... The um so much. Yeah, we got there's only so much we can do, but um so Robbie, are you back on the running train? I'm, I'm not. Okay. I think I was gonna try to run like a mile at lunch today since I got these Nova blasts, but it's still not I just thought it'd be progressing a little bit better. Cause it, it would feel it feels good walking, but then as soon as I run it's like still a little So pressure on it. It's yeah, there's are you just, taking it's just and all, all around the ankle. There's things. Are you taking Advil? Um <laughs> uh, some not like every day here's why i would throw advil in there anti-swelling 
Yeah. And so for the ankle. It's actually, it is a little swollen, but overall it's done pretty well. Usually it's like size of a football because I never take care of it. <laughs> but it's, it's not bad. I think I'm going to try today, see how it feels just a little bit short run. I think those shoes will make it feel good. Yeah. And then. Although they did, I saw a lot of people were suggesting you should do the low stack. Yeah, but then it's shoes. like it's like that thing where it's like, well, then it just hurts like hell because it's impact. Yeah, the impact. And so I remember when I rolled my ankle during the one grip before, I wore the Rincon pretty much the whole month. The mm-hmm. Hoka Rincon. That was like a very good shoe for it. Stable. This shoe yeah. feels mm-hmm. like a Rincon that doesn't die. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's all right. Pretty nice. So you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like yesterday, we were spent the afternoon at a creek, and I was kind of it was was a it a creek or a creek. A creek. I still call it creek. Some people call it creek, but there was uh, a lot of mud and rocks on the shoreline that was pretty difficult to have to. I wore my pig trail fours, and I wasn't in, intent like planning on really getting them dirty. Mud up to my like middle of my legs, like covered, caked. I mean, I washed it off. But, but anyway, so that was a little unstable as far as footing and stuff, but it felt pretty good. Um, well, caught some fish. That reminds good. me of two two uh, things I saw on the internet, this or on Instagram. One was uh, one of those influencers was going at a waterfall and they're trying to walk up like a rock to get in a good spot, mm-hmm. and they, and she just slapped straight down. Yeah, <laughs> I was like maybe wearing the Nike fake trail. <laughs> um, yeah, that, and then the other one. Did you see the one I posted and tagged you? Mm. I'm believing the run. I don't know. Guy was coming down the stairs and his ankle just folded. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I watched that like a hundred times. Yeah, that looked about right. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. And then I got a couple comments of a couple people like uh, Cody was like throwing him under the bus while he's down. Or no, Cody laughed at it and somebody else wrote like uh, throwing poor Robbie under the bus while he's down. I'm like, no, it's, it's open funny, season. Man. I'm okay with it. It's all good. If you, it, it, it was just such a good like. The guy's walking. There's no reason for his ankle to fold. Dude, I appreciate any rolled ankle footage of anyone, yeah. including myself. Yeah, so, so it's fine. So the one dude, Jay Prez, I always forget his actual name. I <laughs> call people their handles. Yeah. Just, oh, Jay Pressa. Yeah. Who's, um, I think we're doing podcasts with him or something, but he, he sent me a video of himself because he does a lot of video. Oh, I saw that one. And he rolled his like. I remember when he posted that sideways. Yeah, it was gross. Yeah, he's just running along because he had his camera. (laughs) (laughs) Man, but anyways, so yeah, I I, I'll get back to it this week. I really need to uh, just to feel somewhat in shape. Um, I mean, at least you bike. I haven't. Did you know what? That's another crazy thing. Because I think mentally, ever since I got in that bike accident, I just. I actually haven't biked at all. Oh, wow. Since the one, like, this is months ago. Like, yeah. the door. I mean, my bike was getting fixed for a little while there. But it's almost like something in my head switched where I'm just like, and You know what's weird I don't want that? to. I saw uh, our friend Kara, who's an avid cyclist, mm-hmm. who crashed and broke her collarbone. Yeah. Sorry, yesterday. And I realized I haven't been on any of the Faster Bastards uh, r- rides this summer. One, we've been super busy. Yeah. But two, I think that there's part of me that's like, it freaked me out. There's That's what I'm saying. It's not a conscious decision, but I just look back and I think, wow, I've been really in my bike in a few months. And it's, I used to go every day, you know? Yeah. 
and that it, it did it for me. And I, I mentioned it to her. And she's like, yeah, you're not the only person. She goes, the rides have been a little thinner. <laughs> she's like, I think it's my my fault. And I mean, when it, it is, I mean, she posted pictures that were pretty graphic. Oh, yeah. That made it really real. Like, I don't know if I'd seen the pictures. Uh, then I wouldn't. But also, I saw uh, Jeremy Ardenoy, and he seems to be healing up That's and good. doing better. Like, I think he's going to come back full strength. Nice. That's awesome. So. Yeah. the It is weird how that works. And a lot of people, this is, a, I'm a huge cycle infrastructure, bike lane proponent. And people are always like, oh, why would we build bike lanes? No one bike. You never see anyone biking. I'm like, yeah, because it's terrifying. Yeah. And even me, who I biked for 10 years, you know, pre- feel pretty comfortable riding in the city. And even now, I'm like, I, with kids, I'm like, I don't know. It's like, it's scary. Like, if I would have hit that door the wrong way and get thrown into traffic, like, you're just run over. Yeah. Like, there's no. You were also <laughs> on one of the more busy, busy streets. Like, Megan, I cut in. Oh, here was the crazy thing, though, is that then I. The next week after that, I just rode. I had a, a backup bike, and I rode in a quiet neighborhood. And a car just like pulled straight out in front of me at a stop sign, like just. And I, and I'm like, you can't win. <laughs> I've also noticed. I told Thomas this the other day on my early morning runs, specifically like Saturday mornings, if I'm out there before like seven or even probably before eight. The cars, like on some of those quieter roads, they don't. Oh they don't yeah. Stop at the red traffic light no they yeah just, on, right i just at red lights yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they just go through i know it's kind of crazy it's nuts yeah i mean i know my runs get boring because i always do the the waterfront but it's so i don't have to think about that stuff yeah i get that too yeah because there have been times you know when you're on a long run and you're in the zone mm-hmm. and you're just like you cross a street and you might check one way but you forget that it's uh you just you don't even realize it until you're crossing that you're like Man, I could have gotten hit if I there wasn't a car coming. I, I've, <laughs> I've done that so been many hit times, so many times by people pulling out to do the right hand turn. Yeah, and they're looking left. Oh and yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. even looking All for the time. it. That that's the dangerous one. I always make sure that I make eye contact before I jump out in yeah. front of those guys. And I I'm not judging them per se because I do the same thing. You right. don't expect somebody coming from a certain direction. Well, now that we've we've brought the show down, <laughs> let's talk about something fun like these. Uh... Okay, all right. Now, Robbie, you have gotten a chance to run in these, though. You have taken these out, right? Uh, I did. Just one run, though. So that was right before I uh, broke my ankle. For people listening, we're talking about the New Balance uh, Super Comp Trainer. SC Trainer. Super Comp. And I've had these since April. We just did the review on it. I probably have to do my written review. That's probably something I should do this week. Um, But this shoe, they're kind of marketing it as fast shoe they're basically you can also train in and i think that's a little misleading yeah um i feel like they're marketing it similar to the uh nike tempo next percent really right you think so yeah i mean i don't know i would say something like that yeah it's not that you can see here here's (laughs) megan's bloody (laughs) that's a bloody insert it's not the shoe's fault it's it's my uh feet's fault yeah from other shoes um <laughs> <laughs> she says convincing Megan comes home with like <laughs> it looks like like there's one day I, I i was my feet are all jacked i was i looked down on the floor and there's like blood tracks i'm like <laughs> if anything ever happens to you i'm gonna be in so much trouble there's blood everywhere in this house 
Like she just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, like right. she could leave for Florida. And yeah. Then, and then it'll be like that thing. But yeah. But so this, um, this shoe really is for training, not for racing. And there's 47 millimeters of foam under the heel, which is not straight legal. Robbie, how much, how much stack do you think is under the forefoot? Well, I mean, I'm assuming it's like 40. 39. Just about 39. Yeah. Okay. It's an eight millimeter drop, but the crazy thing is, think about that. That's a vapor fly. <laughs> that is crazy. Which used to look like a giant stack. Now, I mean, does that look that unreasonable? It doesn't look. It looks pretty normal. <laughs> yeah. That's. I forgot that this was one of those max stack yeah. super yeah. shoes. So I didn't even realize it even when I was wearing it. I just thought. Eh, that's what's surprising about it. Like the Primax, you can tell. Like when you're wearing the Primax, you're like, you feel unstable, up high. Like this one feels stable. A couple things ha help with that. It's this energy arc, which is the split down the middle here. Mm -hmm. So it's got two things. It's got so a regular plate shape, which is kind of like a spoon, but it also has a cambered. So from the lateral to medial side, it's cambered. So kind of creating an arc oh. up that way. So that with this split in the foam, when you land, it kind of loads that plate so that you're also getting energy up and forward okay so it's supposed to give you more energy mine weighs over 11 ounces for a size 10 and a half which is pretty substantial i mean yeah mine's i think what did we say mine was eight eight point seven yeah which is like um, 323 grams or something for mine but which is yeah it's it's a heavier shoe but at the same time you're getting 47 millimeters of foam on your foot and there's a carbon fiber plate in here so i mean while it is heavier i I didn't hate it out on the run. Like I felt like this has a really fun, smooth transition. The plate gives you like that bounce back. Like I was, I was picking off does miles it, pretty quick. Does it remind you of like uh, bouncier Hoka Bondi X? Bondi X? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I felt like. It's a more lively Hoka Bondi yeah, X. That's exactly it. So it feels really nice. I I'm gonna use it for like those daily miles and like. I'm going to still switch into a faster shoe. It's for definitely it. a cruiser shoe that just feels good at slower paces for longer. Yeah. Well, make make right? picked it up. And I do think there's a certain, like if you're not like trying to do like, say that you're going to be on your feet for four hours for a marathon, maybe yeah. four hours or more. You're on, you're out there for a long time. This shoe is going to probably be one of the most comfortable yeah. shoes for that. So okay. that's where I'd start recommending it for races oh, is yeah. maybe some of those, you know, people that are going to be out on their feet for a long time. The yeah, shoe is probably the that. most comfortable. This is like one of the most comfortable shoes, period, if just for wearing around. Yeah. I would agree. All right. How much does cool. it go for, Meg? 180. And I think it's, it's available, available now. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah right. It just out. came out. Interesting. Cool. Uh, you know what we didn't talk about? The Commonwealth. Yeah. Yeah. So the Commonwealth Games are going on, and um, my partners here didn't know what the Commonwealth was. So I I know what a Commonwealth is, <laughs> but I don't know, I don't understand the purpose of it other than to just have some remnant so, of imperialism. But today, you, you like even mentioning Canada, our friends up north, you were not aware that they are British. I just don't understand. Territory. What, yeah, I didn't. That's, that's crazy. I don't understand. It, leave in the comments if this is common If you're outside of the UK, if this is common knowledge. Oh, God, the UK people are going to throw all sorts of fire. Me, 
I, love I mean, you. I love you all. Co- comments on toad in a hole, <laughs> which, which apparently, I do appreciate. which apparently has sausage involved in Yorkshire pudding. So that's the latest one. Is it's not even egg in a basket, like I said. So there's like two. Di- I think there's like two different kinds. So this one guy said it's a Yorkshire pudding, which is like pancake mix baked in an oven with pieces of sausage. In I mean, it. I would eat that. It does sound good. <laughs> but I wonder if they put syrup. Do they put syrup on it? Syrup. And Meg's dad's British. Do they put syrup on that stuff? I don't remember. Yorkshire pudding sounds disgusting. Syrup sounds like good. And then you find out it's pancakes, and you're like, oh, oh, not yeah, so bad. I'm into it. Syrup sounds like a United States, can't North America thing, though. Like no. Canadian. Well, I guess it is because it is from Vermont. So I mean, like northern. They probably put blood or something on it in England because they love that like the blood disgusting sausage. stuff. Yeah, like it's like, you know what that needs is something bile of duck. <laughs> you know, put that on there. Yeah. Imagine eating back in fugil times. Like drinking out stuff. of leather leather cups, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so I heard that that's how, back in the day, how Guinness started was because of everyone was just drinking gin and getting hammered all the time because the water was so bad that they just drank gin so they wouldn't get sick, is that Guinness, whoever started Guinness, was like, we need to have an alternative that people can drink that kills the bacteria, but that isn't getting everyone hammered all the time. And it essentially created Guinness as an alternative to water, but that was better than (laughs) gin. Because everyone was being abusive and like <laughs> losing their job, like it was complete chaos. Because everyone was just drinking gin nonstop. You know, when you look back and you that painting, the absinthe drinker, mm-hmm. uh, absinthe, absinthe drinker, uh, pull that one up so you can see it. That's what I imagine times like that were were like for humanity. Like it's just a, it's just a woman sitting in like a a bar, like just with that glassed out. Yeah. Look. I feel like that's how times were during COVID. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, people were drinking more, but yeah. Man. Anyway, the Commonwealth Games are going on. Okay, yeah. And if if you don't know what the Commonwealth is, is it was all the the provinces or or everything that was under the United Kingdom at one point. So, including India, some African West African countries. Wikipedia says it's 56 member states, a third of the world's population, because India is included. In I mean, that. think about at one time, Britain was like badass. Like uh, they had, they <laughs> got, it, think about it, it's a tiny island, but they built this navy that went all over the world and just like, like this is ours now. I actually do think about this a lot because I don't understand how us, uh, an area of this size. <laughs> Or even as I'm reading the world or German, you know, the Nazi regime, I don't understand how it's like this country, this little one right here, can potentially take over the entire world. Yeah, I'm just like, just like make them stop. <laughs> yeah. Tell them no. <laughs> I get it if it's like China or India or even to some degree the United States, but this little country. Just... You have to think about though at the time where technology was. Yeah, and that makes so sense. So imagine right. if nobody else in the world had computers and yeah. only the US had computers, like we'd be like we own everything. Yeah. And at that time, they had a navy and they had guns and they had uh, you know, weapons that you could roll up to a country and be like we will kill everybody or you can start paying taxes. Yeah. 
I mean, that that's definitely the reason why. Yeah. Crazy thing, though, about Germany is that they didn't have any of those things because they were all basically taken from them and had no economy. And, uh, and then all of Europe let them come back in the game <laughs> completely unchecked. I mean, and that turned out not good for everyone. Well, look what's going on in Ukraine right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, we're all just like, we better not mess with them because there's a potential for a nuclear war. Yeah, I guess you never know in the moment, too, how it's yeah. going to work out. But anyway, so the, yeah, the Commonwealth, that's crazy. So what what athletes compete in the Commonwealth? Because one of the Commonwealth Games, because one of they have already just competed at Worlds, or is, do yeah, they just double that's down? That's the crazy thing about track, track and field. You, like, just kind of, you yeah. reload the next week, and you run 100, yeah, 100 meters. And, yeah, so the Commonwealth Games is not just track and field. It's also, like, they have rugby, basketball, um, oh, triathlon. Right. Okay. There's, like, a bunch of it. It's almost like a mini Olympics. You know, how, you know how India is not part of uh, England anymore, but they still participate in Commonwealth? Mm-hmm. Could the U.S. potentially participate in commonwealth because at one point they just sneak in there well i mean until we hit them with a stick in 1976 I, I don't know of any u.s athletes participating we just like, I think we should we go should, under the guise of another yeah, country we should, or yeah we'd just be like look 1776 i do feel like the australian women though are kind of like our u.s women in the distance specifically the marathon where they're like dominating really, yeah so um I, what's the weirdest commonwealth games game isn't, you saw. isn't like Kenya or something under the Commonwealth? Like technically, like they they got their independence, but are, would they be able to participate? Uh, I don't know. Like some of those countries in Africa. I'm gonna look up some. Uh, that's kind of gotta be a like downer when you put on your England and you put on the Commonwealth Games and you're like, we lost all these. And people. Australia <laughs> cleans cleans up. Well, like, Australia's oh, man, like Canada, though. Them. They're still... No, yeah, but, but it's still, like, not... I feel like the home country is England, right? I mean, you know what? You know that Australia was a, a penitentiary. Yeah, a penal colony. I did yeah. know that. Yeah, so yeah. All, they're all British. It's a bunch, <laughs> Just of, the crappy bunch of prisoners. <laughs> um, I think badminton's probably the... I England mean, sport. Like I mean, Britain. that's pretty cool, I gotta say. but. Apparently, the, apparently there's a huge crash in the velodrome. Oh, yeah, we saw that. Remember when we were watching the news, that big crash on the cycling? Oh, yeah. That would be the a pileup. That would be a cool sport to 30, watch. It was in like person. 30, 30 bike pileup. Wow. It's like one of the largest ones. Dude, people broke bones in that, right? Definitely. I mean, the thing is, the bikes themselves cost 30 grand. So, like, that's like. It's a lot of money right there. Yeah. I thought that was at, um, when you showed me the picture, for some reason, I thought that was at uh, Tour de France, which seems oh. to uh, go on forever. Oh. Anyways. Yeah. Well, so sorry if, you, if we're not knowledgeable about the Commonwealth and what. But if you're participating in it, <laughs> jolly good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Put another shrimp on the Barbie. Yeah. So today's guest is pretty exciting. Speaking of Commonwealth, before we jump on to the oh. guest. When we're in London, I think we should do a shakeout run. You have to. Yeah. And you need to bring a whole duffel bag full of, of, of gear. Believe in the run gear. Yeah. We can sell that okay. on the sly. Or just hand it out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One or the other. We'll figure it out. I mean, you can pay for your trip there. I don't know how to or, do the yeah, I don't know how to do the, the conversion to pounds. Oh yeah, you might just get ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a ten ten 
what is it pence yeah, what do they have that <laughs> three three hundred fifty thousand. yeah we want to hold on to that one yeah that's good <laughs> all right so we'll, we'll we'll maybe we'll publicize that and get it and we will be going over there um you know as a guest with new balance which we are kicking off speaking of this shoe we're kicking off a train to new new york that we will be talking about pretty much starting next uh, week next week so get excited about that and london nyc robbie you'll be there right uh where in yeah. oh, new york least, city at least new york yeah, yeah yeah for sure we might i mean chances are trunk. chances are i do horribly in my september marathon and just do something even stupider and try to train all out for the new york city marathon i think it would be pretty cool to have a good new york like i'm too scared to try to have a good new york because it's a tough course well but, the part of it is like i want to have a good time while i'm there so yeah, i don't really want to have to sleep <laughs> like hard. sleep all the night before and do all those things yeah <laughs> uh whatever all right all right so yeah you mentioned our guest this week meg you want to introduce yeah i mean i'm sure most people have heard of him but we are chatting with steve magnus um he just came out with a book called do hard things which I'm just about finished reading. Have you finished the audiobook? Yep. So, yeah, we dive in that. Uh, we talk about all sorts of things. I mean, here's the cool thing is that if you like our check-ins, they're basically a combination of Coach Bennett from Nike and Steve Magnus in- inspired me to, to put those into our podcast from the get-go. Um, so you can blame them. And this week special for you steve magnus is given the check-ins so that should be awesome is magnus a beer i think you think is that a magnum or um, is that a cider oh magners magnus cider that's what i was thinking of well all right either way sorry robbie robbie's mentioned just destroyed that guinness and oh cider you you need a drink bud no i don't actually So let's good uh, weekend. Yeah, <laughs> Saturday was fun. All right, all right. As soon as he knows he doesn't have to run, it's like boom. Let's, it's let's actually pretty Cheers. accurate. Cheers. <laughs> Gonna bend this one. All right, all right. So here's Steve. We had a great time talking to him. I hope you enjoy. Hey, this is Steve, first check-in. I know you're suffering. I know it's really hot and miserable, but just focus on your effort. Don't pay attention to the watch and just get through this moment. Today on the show, we have Steve Magnus, a performance coach, a writer. I feel like you wear several other hats as well, but Steve, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So we wanted to have you on to talk all about your latest book, Do Hard Things, which I am currently finishing up. Thomas is listening to on the audio version. Um, But before we dive into that, I'd love to give our audience just a little bit of background on you. So maybe just talk to us about, you know, growing up and how you initially got into running. 
Yeah. So initially early on, I was always an athlete and I love sports. But if I'm honest, I love things like baseball and basketball and soccer and team sports. And my initial foray into running was, you know, everybody runs like the PE physical fitness mile test. And I was really good at it. But I remember the the PE teacher asking like, hey, you should, you know, run cross country and track and you're going to be great at this. And I said, why would I do that? That sounds miserable. (laughs) Running hurts a lot. Team sports are a lot of fun. But it wasn't really until I got into high school when I went out to cross country and um, started enjoying running and starting having a lot of success. And I remember my coach pulled me aside and said, Steve, I know you love soccer at that point, but you can be really good at this. And I think you'd really enjoy that. And it was really the team aspect of cross country that dragged me into the sport and then made me fall in love with it. And then the more time I spent running, the more I, you know, enjoyed it. And it really started again in high school where I went from, you know, a reluctant runner to probably someone who was a bit obsessed with running. <laughs> so it was a, a very quick switch there. What was the obsession? Was it that you were successful at it and chasing that success was somewhat of, was that the fuel? Like where, cause we, you, in the book you talk about intrinsic and extrinsic, uh, you know, motivation at that yeah. time, because it's, I can see you're smiling, and uh, I'm, I'm, you're probably looking back with a little bit of joy at, at your at your early running. What was it at that time that, that kept you in there? Yeah, good question. So I I think a lot of it, you know, maybe initially it was a little spark of hey I'm good at this, but like that didn't last. And I think a lot of it was just the joy of a couple things. First, it was probably the the closest I'd been to other people because there's just something about a team, especially cross country, where it's like you're all putting in a whole heck of a lot of work. And, you know, I lived at that time right outside of Houston, Texas, and it's hot, humid, it's miserable. <laughs> but with your friends, you're able to do it, right? It's funny how So there was something... Yeah, there's something like that. And and the other part I think that really drew me to it is it was just something that was, you know, the harder I worked, the more I put into it, the more I kind of got out of it. So there was something amazing about, hey, if I work hard at this, I'm going to get better. And it's kind of, especially in those early days, it's kind of up to me. And that really drew me into, you know, kind of enjoying the sport and and seeing and exploring my potential. And I think if I was to summarize it with anything, you know, especially early on, what captured me, it was that exploration phase because it it really is. You have no clue what you're kind of doing early on and you're just trying to trying different things and running different workouts and listening to your coach and seeing like, hey, how good can I be? Like, what will make me better and make me enjoy this even more? Mm, I'm going to have to do a follow-up question. Remind me uh, when we get in a little bit further because you're talking about like a shared um, team dynamic that brought you in. And later, once we, I I don't want to spoil too much, but when we get into it, you talk about the Texas A&M and the training camp and those guys and maybe some things that went wrong, but like, Part of the stuff that had to go right was that team feeling like if you suffer through something and anybody runs with a group, you tend to bond yourself to those people just because it's shared suffering. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a, a, an important piece of it. And I think that's where athletics can be so powerful. And I think it, it, it's tough because that shared suffering, I think what it does is it lowers all vulnerabilities. It, it just makes you vulnerable because you're going to see your teammates at their worst. You're going to see it when they fail in a workout or lose a race and break down, cry, whatever, like quit. <laughs> It's it's all exposed because there's no hiding it once that the fatigue hits you. And I think there's something so powerful about it because you're in this with other people and they get to see the real you and you get to see the real them. So it's kind of like those barriers just get broken down. And I think as you pointed out there, and we can get into it at, at some point, but that's a very special place. And we can either use that for kind of good, which is like, hey, how are we going to grow, develop? Or we can kind of <laughs> use that for bad, which is like you're almost exploiting this, you know, vulnerable space and, and taking advantage of it. So, no, I that's why I'm a big fan of group training, even as adults, is like if you can get out there and work out with other people, good things are going to happen. And you're going to form bonds that I, I'm sure we all have that will last a lifetime. Yeah. You started to talk about how you liked knowing like the harder you worked, the better outcomes you had in running. When did you start like really studying this performance aspect and the mental side of things? Like when did you get into that field? Yeah, so it really and it, it really intrigued me actually when I stopped improving. <laughs> um, <laughs> So like most things, I think it's almost like selfish, our reasons for exploring things. But once that improvement started coming a little bit, you know, becoming a little harder and not as easy as happens with all of us, then I think it was natural for me to kind of explore these things. And and really, I think uh, midway through college, I, if I'm honest, I didn't care anything at all about academics all the way through high school even when I started college like I was trying to stay eligible so that I could compete on the track team and cross-country team but besides that I didn't care but it was really probably my my junior year of college where I was struggling a little bit with running and then I came across you know I think I took a sports psychology class and then also exercise physiology class and it really kind of was the first moment where I said oh here's this academic stuff that is really intriguing and actually applies to what I'm doing. So it really kind of hooked me because, you know, it had that personal connection. And then, you know, later on my in my career, it became something where, well, if I'm going to help runners out, like this is one of the places where it seems paramount and vital, um, especially early on in my college coaching career where, you know, I realized that no matter how good an athlete was, they all struggled with, they all seemed to struggle with the same <laughs> things mentally. So it didn't matter if it was, you know, all American or someone who's qualifying for the Olympic trials, it's all the same stuff. So there's this kind of space where if we're all struggling with the same things mentally, maybe we can figure out how to, you know, navigate those a little bit better. Yeah. Again, that's one of my favorite things about this sport. And I am probably about as, I'm closer to middle of the pack than I am, uh, you know, qualifying for the Olympics. Uh, Megan's on the other side of that. Um, but we all do. Like, I think mentally it, we are all struggling. So when you look up and you just think, oh, that person's got talent, that that's why they're at the front and they can do it. Yeah, I think it's so easy to dismiss people as talented. And so they're not dealing with the same struggles you are. But 
I, I think it is pretty universal to the sport. It, it is. And you know, the, 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 the experience that really brought this home to me was actually, I was working with Sarah Hall, who's a phenomenal runner, phenomenally talented, incredibly hard worker and great person. But in her first marathon, all the training went really well up to it. But then the marathon itself just was a disaster. And I remember at mile, like, it was like mile 20. And, you know, I was at a spot, she was coming by, and I was just cheering, and she was struggling a lot. And she looked at me and, like, just had the the saddest look ever. (laughs) And was, like, kind of shrugged her shoulders as if to say, like, do I keep going or do I drop out? And then when I talked to her afterwards, she was like, yeah, no. Like, if you would have said drop out at that moment, I would have been off. Like, I would have stopped. And she's, like, one of the toughest runners on the planet. But here she was saying, like, you know, I have the same thoughts of, like, I want to quit. I want to drop out when I'm struggling. And and I think that's where it's really true is often we, we think of the best of the best and we think, oh, they must be impervious. But it's often the same problems that, you know, whoever's in mid-pack or even the back of the pack are struggling with mentally. It's just part of being, you know, a human. Yeah. And you know what we haven't done? We haven't even mentioned the name of the book. Yeah, we did. Did we? Yeah. Okay. I was making sure we can say it again. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't think we got into the book, but it's Do Hard Things. And, um, you know, I, it, it's interesting to me because I feel like this book kind of is a little more broad. Like like we're talking to runners and our audience is, is definitely runners. But I feel like this is intentionally maybe a little broader. Um, is, is that the case? Am I seeing that correct? Yeah, you are. You know, it, it's it was kind of my battle with myself and then both the publisher. It's my inclination is just like, oh, let's all tie this to running. And I've got all these running stories. But, you know, what I found is like the same thing. Like I think running is often the perfect metaphor for life. And the same things that maybe we're going through and running, struggling with races or doubt or what have you. It's the same thing that other athletes are going through. It's the same thing that people in the workplace are going through and other performance areas. It's just a different avenue. Yeah, even parenting. So I, yeah, and parenting. Exactly. It's it's all the same stuff. It's just a different aspect we're applying it to. And I think that was I'm I'm glad that my publisher, you know, pushed me to broaden out. Because I think, you know, in sport and in running, we might talk about this stuff a lot. But in parenting, you never talk about this stuff. You know, in the workplace, you know, you might talk about resilience a little bit. But talk about work, like workplace resilience. Look at the last couple of years of, you know, (laughs) going online and Zoom and all these other things where it's like you're crazy and have to adapt. Yeah. So it's this concept of toughness, resilience, et cetera. Like it, it applies to everything. And that was hopefully one of the messages is, yes, there's a lot of running in there. But as you picked up, you know, hopefully broaden our perspective and, and take it to other aspects of our life. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I hope that people outside of running uh, take a look at the book because I do. I feel like, you know, we run a business as well. And there was stuff that I was listening to where I was like checking on that side of my brain to say, Am I, am I doing things the right way in the modern way? And, and I guess this might be a good place to jump into kind of like the idea of what toughness used to be and why it's failed us at this point. 
Yeah, so we, we hold on to this idea that is kind of culturally ingrained where toughness is is kind of putting your head down, grinding through things, trying to ignore your, your emotions or feelings, like pushing away or avoiding that negative voice in your head. <laughs> and I think that has, has that's one way to do it and sometimes can be successful, but it's a very limited tool set. It's like going around and saying, hey, I've got a hammer and I'm going to fix everything with this hammer. And what the research and also experience shows us is if we only approach it in that direction, like we're going to have nowhere to go once we encounter a problem where it's like, hey, you've got to learn the skills to get through this, A. And then B, it can also be incredibly damaging and detrimental because it sets up uh, very unrealistic expectations often um, for like how to take on challenges and how to take on difficult things. And then, you know, in sport, especially if you're a coach or what have you, is it often... It often, like, when we adopt the old school model, it it almost prevents us from thinking and solving the actual problem because we can just say, oh, like, you got to be tougher. Like, you got to push through this, et cetera. When the athlete is actually obviously trying and trying to navigate stuff. And often it's not that they, you know, don't want to push through or make it on the other way. It's just they don't have the skills to navigate that. And we have to give them the skills. And that's the important part. Hey everyone, this is Steve, second check-in. I know you're struggling right now. I know it's really hot. I know it's really tough. But to get through this, I want you to imagine what it's like to be at the end of this run, how you're going to feel, all the good emotions, all the good endorphins, and that's going to help you get through this this difficult spot. When I, when I was going through the book on that part, it kind of reminded me of the, I don't know if you're a Monty, Monty Python fan, but the uh, the Knights that say nay. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, he keeps getting his arm chopped off, his leg chopped, he's hopping on one leg. Come back here. I'll, he's the toughest guy I know. <laughs> but um, it wasn't really working for him. <laughs> um, but, yeah. And I was like, wow, that is kind of like where we're going with this toughness. And we brought up the Texas A&M thing earlier where, I was saying the camaraderie binds us together. And you were giving that as an example of something that was held up as the ideal of toughness. And when you actually look into it, it it was maybe a facade or, you know, uh, myth, mythologized as, as what it actually was. Yeah, I love that story. Um, not in part because, you know, my wife went to Texas A&M, <laughs> so this is like legendary for us, and I didn't. So I like to, you know, chide her on that one a bit. But it, it's this famous story of, um, especially in Texas, where Paul Bear Bryant, who went on to do great things at Alabama, um, <clears throat> when he was at Texas A&M, he took all these players, like 100 of them, and went off into the middle of nowhere in Texas and put them through this camp from hell in Junction, Texas, which is no nowhere. And the, the popular narrative goes like, oh, this is what made them great. But the reality is they were horrible that year. They won like one game. A couple years later, they were really good, but they only had something like six or seven players from that camp left. And what happened is they'd actually recruited and paid for, to get better <laughs> players and better talent. Um, 
But what was most fascinating about that story is that if you look at the interviews of the, the athletes who survived, most of them said, like, hey, I made it through not because I was tough, but because I literally had no other choice. Because this was like, I don't know, the 1950s and 60s. They were like, it was either play football at A&M or go work in the fields all day in the hot summer. So it wasn't that I was tough. It's just like this was the best choice I had. <laughs> and, it, and then the other fascinating part is the story that we miss often is if you look at the players who actually did quit, like some of them accomplished some amazing things. We're talking athletes who went on to play in the NFL who switched sports and were like, you know, all Americans in baseball. You had people who went on to be like, um, you know, uh, war heroes and fighter pilots in, in the Navy who, you know, had all sorts of medals and all this stuff. So obviously accomplished, talented, tough people, but like they chose to, to quit because it was like, well, I'm going to go play baseball over here because this is a lot, <laughs> a lot better and maybe I can express some talent. So to me, that story kind of resonates where it's like this old school model is like, yeah, it might have like, quote unquote, toughened up a couple people, maybe. But the reality is all of life, all of performance is a talent game. And how many talented people did you lose or not develop because you did something stupid that just drove them all away? Yeah, I think that they're especially I, I think it, it may appear more in the male side of things. There's this desire to prove that you're tough. And, you know, you the story like that makes people want to go to Texas A&M because they're like, I want to be a Navy SEAL. I want to be a Green Beret. I want to be, what's the toughest thing I can do? Okay, if it's laying in sand for 12 hours and doing push-ups all day, I want to be that tough. Um, and I, and I, I feel like it still exists. You see it in, like, CrossFit, and you see it in, yeah. in even in running, it still exists. But... You, you from reading the book and you tell me if i'm wrong but from most of the stuff that you studied that those things aren't necessarily they're great for window dressing but it doesn't necessarily mean when shit hits the fan you you're tough it, it exactly and I, I do think there's that ethos in society for whatever reason especially on among males um <laughs> but I, I think this is where the research in the military helps so much because if you talk to people in the special forces, in the Navy SEALs, all those, you know, crazy things. I mean, they do do crazy things. Um, but if you talk to them on how they develop that resilience or grit or toughness, it's it, it's kind of opposite to our kind of movie screen idea of what actually occurs. Um, in the sense that they're like, yeah, we do crazy things. But before that, we teach them so that they have this diverse array of skill set. Because if you don't, the percent of people who go through, let's say you get thrown into the woods and survive, the percent of people who kind of lose their mind and lose their senses and can't function well is crazy high. It's something like 96% of, uh, again, people in the military who just get dropped off into, the, into survival without training, they just, they experience disassociation. So what, what the people in the military tell me is that, or told me is that we've got to train them to cope with that. And the way to cope with that isn't just like, hey, put your head down, grit through it. It's how do you keep your mind on and straight and steady amidst the chaos? 
And often that's the same thing we're trying to do in running, which is when our mind is telling us like, hey, this hurts a lot, like get out of here. We're trying to create that space so that we can, you know, not default to that simple thing. And then one other thing that I think was fascinating, I didn't include this in the book. So this is exclusive to you guys. But <laughs> one of the people who who used to train the Navy SEALs, he was a Navy SEAL himself. We were having this conversation. I'm like, who are the people who make it? You know, I, I just want to know who the people who make it are. And he said, you know, when I first started training them, I thought it would be like the football guys and like those style guys. And he's like, it's often not. He said, more often than not, it's the people who came from individual sports like running or swimming who spent a lot of time alone in their head navigating like this discomfort and doubt. And those were the people and who couldn't hide behind teammates. Like those were the people who had a higher success rate. And I thought that, uh, uh, of course, as a runner, I was like, yeah, of course. yes, right on. <laughs> it makes but, sense. but but I thought I, I thought that was fascinating because often it goes against our kind of M.O. of like, oh, look at these runners. Yeah, sure. They deal with pain, but they're a bunch of, you know, relatively thin people who, you know, aren't gritty or tough. I mean, and, you look you at know, Ryan the Hall. exact opposite. You brought up Sarah Hall. Yeah. Now look at Ryan Hall. Chopping trees down, <laughs> eating bags of mel- uh, uh, maltodextrin. Ma- ma- <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's funny because when you were talking about that, you brought up the last book I read on toughness before getting your book was probably the David Goggins book, which kind of has conflicting messaging. And I would say that is the apex of that male fight through anything. Just if, if you hit a wall, break through the wall toughness kind of kind of mantra also now a runner um like did that did you think of uh, did that that ever come into your mind when you were writing this yeah yeah and and you know i love i love what david goggins has done and he's amazing you know at, at what he's accomplished but i think i think that's such a narrow field because not Again, not to diminish anything he's done, but like what Goggins is trying to do and and is essentially survive. Because for him, it's get through this ultra marathon, whatever have you. Um, And I think that style for him might work really well. But I think most of us aren't like David Goggins, where we're just trying to survive through something and like have to use this method i think a diversity or array of other skill sets are necessary for people another part of it is i would also say is when i sign up for races if i run a marathon i'm not just trying to survive my goal isn't to suffer as much as i can it's to use that it's to navigate that suffering to perform up to my capabilities and to perform you know up to the potential race times or whatever i have to get through it which isn't surviving. It's knowing that, yeah, I'm going to go through difficult moments, but how do I not only navigate this, but navigate it in a way that I can keep my performance up and execute in the way that I know how to, to maybe achieve my goal of whatever the time is in the marathon. So it's, again, maybe a slightly different framing that that pushes us to expand our toolkit behind maybe the that, hey, I'm just going to suffer, suffer, suffer and push through and and I'll be all right. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that his well is a, is a little bit deeper than the average person's like <laughs> ability to to sit in the, in the pain, pain area. I could be wrong, but there's um, 
two tactics that I'd love to like dive into a little bit more related to, and we, you sort of talked about them, but the first one being that we need to like sit with the pain rather than pushing through it. Can you talk about that as like a strategy? Yeah, it, so it, there's some fascinating research on this. It essentially shows if you look at people who tolerate or handle pain better, it's not that they're resisting or pushing through it. It's that they've almost kind of sat with it so that they've become somewhat friends with it. And the way this works is pretty simple. Is that if you think of your brain, your brain's job is to protect you. So whenever you feel pain or discomfort, its its natural reaction is to say, oh, push this away, avoid it, or like just push through it because it doesn't want to deal with it. Well, when you do that, what you're essentially sending to your brain is, oh, this is something that I want to avoid that I that is a negative that like we should just survive through. So it's almost like when you push against it, that pain comes back 10 times stronger. Because it's almost like your brain says, oh, okay, this is something we should avoid. Then I'm going to increase. I'm going to come back, back at you with more. When the reality is what we're trying to do is turn that alarm down so that it's not as big of a threat. So that your alarm doesn't go off and thinks that you're going to die in the middle of this run when in actuality you're just you know hitting the wall a little bit and you're going to be okay. So the way to turn down that alarm to get it closer to reality is to learn how to sit with it. And sit with it means like trying not to react with it, but kind of just accept with it. And if you can do that, eventually what happens is you turn that alarm down. And the, the example I'd give you is at, at some point, we've all either been a beginning runner or out of shape. And what happens when you, you know, you're, you're, maybe you're coming back from injury, you're out of shape, you go for that first kind of hard workout. Well, that alarm goes off really quickly because you haven't sat with that discomfort for a while. So it's like a trigger happy alarm. If you sit with it, get used to it, get comfortable with it, do more workouts, eventually it gets turned down to, okay, we're all right. This isn't a time to freak out. Like this isn't a big deal. You're going to be okay. I actually use this one today and I was doing intervals and I had two sets in the first set. This is to give an example. It, it, you had talked about in the book about the people who meditated and the people who didn't and the hot, hot thing on the wrist. Um, and so the first set, I was like, I was doing my warm up mile and I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to do some fast stuff. And I could tell my brain was already preparing for the pain. And so my first set was, was a little bit harder. And I was like preparing for the pain I would get done with the first interval and I'd wait for that next little thing to trigger it again. And when my watch buzzed to go, I was like already like geared up. And I realized at the time I was like, okay, this is what he's talking about. So for the second set, I had like a half mile. So I was able to calm down a little bit. And I said, let's just not think about it until the watch goes off. And I don't even have to start when the buzzer goes, I can just go. So again, using choice to give that little bit of space and then just kind of said, okay, let's just see how it feels and experience it while I go. Both sets ended up being around the same pace, but the second set was much more enjoyable to go through. But it's not like a, I got like a superpower where I was all of a sudden, you know, 30 seconds faster per interval. It, but it, the intervals did seem to go by a little bit quicker and just, you know, felt like less stressful. 
It, I, I love that example. And, it, and B, I'm glad that, you know, something I wrote was useful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but it, it's so important because, like, how we appraise and frame things and what we give attention to shapes our experience so much. And we've all heard, like, perception is reality. But I think what we forget about that is when it comes to difficult things, we have a bunch of tools, like you just mentioned, where we can shift that perception a little bit. So to me, it's like, how do you shift that perception? And, you know, one of the other examples that really, I think, gets at this and resonates a lot is, um, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this, but, you know, during taper week before the big marathon or big race, often that, that workout you do that is not that hard it feels way harder than it should. And then you start panicking and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm out of shape. Like that that mile or those intervals yeah. felt way harder than they should. Well, the reason that happens is because we, we see the workout and we're like, oh, it's taper week. Like I'm good. Nothing's going to be hard. Like it's going to all should feel easy. And we've shifted our appraisal so much so that it's like your body's like, oh, we're chill until race day. So you do something a little bit hard and it's like, what are you doing, man? Like, st stop. This isn't supposed to be that hard and it feels hard. So it's like important that you understand and you realize like you have the tools to shift that perception. So use them wisely. That That is strange. I also get, and maybe you can help me with this. I get like running amnesia before a race. I'm like, I don't even remember what it feels like to run. Like, I don't know how to run. I, I could get up to the start line and it, it could, I could be like, legs thrown out to the side. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I, I love it. No, that, that occurs too. It's like your body goes haywire, especially, you know, race time. It's so stressful. And that's what, again, people often forget is like the stress shifts all of our perceptions and everything. And it, it can make us feel kind of crazy. So that's often why it's like, hey, just get to the gun going off and trust that your body will remember what in the world it's supposed to do. And more often than not, it does. Yeah, that first half mile is always believing that I remember how to run. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I understand the sitting with the pain, the strategy where you say creating space with your attention, like explain that one a little bit more to me. Yeah, so the, the way stress and fatigue tends to narrow us and it does that um deliberately because it's it's whenever we feel stressed or fatigued our brain is like lo locking on to the problem so if our if we feel tired or our legs start to feel sore it's almost like you lock on to that feeling and it like exaggerates it so what we try to do is if stress narrows it the way to combat that is to create space, which is often how do we create just a little bit of space or a little bit of perspective, right? So that it doesn't narrow us in on the thing and we feel like the thing is the end of the world. So there's a whole bunch of different strategies that you can do. But, you know, a couple of my favorite is, you know, I'll give one example. I was uh, talking to a good friend who was at the Olympic trials and you know, they're standing on the starting line and they're like, they start to feel that stress and that anxiety and that narrowing effect. And they're just like, you know, it's like you just said, I forget what it's like to run. How am I going to take these steps? My legs feel like lead. And she was like, for a moment, I was like locked in this negativity spiral. But what got me out of it is I just looked around and I said, you know what? 
it's just running. Like, no one really gives a shit about running. You know, the people who watch this are diehard runners who understand this. And the only people who really care about me are my parents and my friends and my significant other. And even if I come in dead last, they're still going to, like, support and love me. And what is that but creating a little bit of perspective when your world is so narrow? So we can do that with thinking about things like that, zooming all the way out. We can do create that space as well with just how we talk to ourselves. So there's some fascinating research that shows if we continually refer to ourselves like um, and first person and saying like I, 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 it doesn't work as well if we use second or third person like you or Steve or Megan or whoever. Like when we refer to ourselves in second and third person, it's almost like our brain interprets it as like either we're giving instructions to a friend or a friend is telling us what to do. And that creates just enough space where your body and brain don't react to that negative spiral of those doubts as much. So even something as simple as like change how you talk to yourselves can create just, again, just a little bit of space where we can navigate through that discomfort and not like spiral all the way to like, you know, freak out or like, why am I doing this? Get me out of here mode. So Jimmy and Seinfeld had it right when he's like, Jimmy likes the gym. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? That's right. You might sound a little bit crazy, but you know, it, it seems to work. So. Jimmy'd love to go out with you. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to remember that one because, yeah, that one also, like, that did get a little bit, like, for me, I was, like, trying to follow along. And I'm like, so should I be saying you can do this or Thomas can do this? I guess either one's correct depending on whichever gets me the better result. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it's also kind of try it and see it. Yeah. It's different things will will work for different folks. So, like, change it up. And see, and see what works. And the way I, you know, I had a a really good athlete I worked with who kind of put it succinctly with me is like, what I want is all these different strategies and then I'm going to be in the middle of the race and some that normally work aren't going to work. But if I have other things to do, then like pull them out of the hat and start using them. And, you know, he put it a another strategy, which was kind of crazy, and but it worked is you know, he was in the middle of a national qualifying uh, cross-country race. And he said, Steve, I was suffering a lot. So for whatever reason, it came to me where I just imagined that I was at the finish line and I was like looking back at the race as if it already happened. And for whatever reason, that like zapped him out of the suffering mode and was like, oh, like at the end of the race, yeah, I'm going to feel tired, but I'm going to look back and I'm going to be like, yeah, I wish I would have like stayed on this guy or whatever have you. So again, sometimes strange, crazy things work with our mind. Like you just got to try and explore it and, and have different tools you can go to. I like it. Was there anything when you were researching this book or interviewing people um, in the writing process that like absolutely shocked you? You know, that's a good question. Um one of the things that I found really fascinating was I was talking to some NBA folks and they pointed me to this research, which I talk about in the book, which showed the effect of what of having what, what they called an abusive coach, which is basically that crazy disciplinarian yelling all the time, et cetera. The Bobby Knights. this fascin- Yeah, the Bobby Knights of the world, right? Um, and the study looked at 
for like something like five or six years, they tr- they looked at um, coaches who happened to be in the NBA who followed that model, and then they looked at the effect of playing for that coach. And what they found was that if you played for the Bobby Knight type coach, your performance dropped and you had an increase in aggressive fouls, like technicals Mm. where you lose your cool. And the fascinating part that kind of shocked me was it wasn't just for when they played for that coach. The effect lasted for the rest of their career. So even if you only had that coach for one year, like... Four or five years later, the impact of having that abusive coach still lasted. And I think, again, there hasn't been research on this, but to me, it spoke to, man, like whether we're talking a coach, a parent, a leader in the in the workplace, like your impact can have, you know, can have a, a lasting lingering effect even when you're gone. And it's your responsibility. Do you want that to be the positive or do you want that to be the negative to lo- to have the guy losing his cool five years later when he's not even playing for you? That so that me. was really, I, I think, surprising and powerful. Yeah. That reminds me of like bullies and, you know, bullies make other bullies. You know, it's like when you're in school, if you got picked on, you probably as soon as you get into a place where you're not getting picked on, you pick on other people to kind of maintain that and just roll with it. It, exactly. No, I think there's there's a lot there. So to me, it, it, it becomes, you know, again, broadening out from sport or running. It's like on us as parents, teachers, coaches, whatever, to look beyond, oh, I just need you to win this game. But, you know, how am I maybe crafting their environment and like supporting them in a way that you know, hopefully positive things happen in the future and they don't end up being a bully or a jerk because of, you know, something that we did or said. Hey, everyone. Third check-in. You made it. Congratulations. Getting through a run is not an easy task. Be proud of it. You did it. Awesome job. You mentioned earlier that basically amateurs and the professionals, we all have the same anxiety and negative feelings around race day and training. But is there any differences that you see with like the elites or the pros that you don't see in the amateurs that make them as good as they are? Yeah, so uh, there was some fascinating work that actually dates all the way back to Frank Shorter that looked at the psychology of running a marathon and what elites do versus amateurs. And it's been updated since then, but essentially it comes down to this, is that elites have more tools in their toolkit so that they will switch their attention, change their self-talk in a number of ways. So they could be like locked in and focused on the task at hand and paying attention now they're breathing one moment in the marathon. But a mile later, they could be zoned out, you know, looking at the crowd, hearing, you know, seeing the signs. And they kind of bounce back and forth between the different strategies as as they need them. Right. So in an early mile, they might be zoned out because they're like, I'm on the pack. I don't need to pay attention. I'm going to pay attention to the crowd to distract me. 
But then when it gets really difficult, they zone, they hone in and, and focus. And if you look at the um, amateurs, what happens, the research shows, is they often get stuck. So if they start zoning out and looking at the crowd, they stick with that strategy for the rest of the marathon and don't go anywhere else. And eventually that strategy is not going to work. So my suggestion is when I talk to amateurs is it's like mimic the elites a little bit, which is they didn't get that way overnight. What they learned from being in these experiences, from probably going through it in high school, college, you know, post-collegiately, professionally, is they're in these situations enough where they have to hone these skills because it's the only way you're kind of going to survive at that level. And often in amateur levels, like we might not be put in those situations because we might not be practicing in those environments or signing up for, you know, higher stakes races where, you know, it might matter if you reach your goal or not. So practicing, you know, a diversity of skill sets and having a number of tools is is vital if you're an amateur. I know that all of these can be learned, but don't you feel like some people are just innately <laughs> better at this than others? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yes. So that that is very true. Um, <laughs> there there is definitely an innate thing. So people handle stress differently. Um, there's actually some fascinating research that shows that some of us are are primed a little bit more to be what they call warriors. And some are primed to be warriors, meaning we worry about the things. And it's like in, again, not a huge effect, but it's in our biology and genes. Um, so there is that. But the wonderful thing is, regardless of your skill set, you can improve that capacity and ca capability. Just like as you're a runner, you might not have the talent to make it to the Olympics, but you sure have the ability to get better from where you started. So that's what I tend to focus on, but absolutely. And I think absolutely there are individual biological genetic differences. But what I would say there is often what we can use, it was, we can use the gifts that we have. So if you're quote unquote, maybe not good at handling stress and you tend to freak out and feel a lot of anxiety, yeah, that might be a quote unquote negative, but it also comes with the superpower positive which is people who, who struggle with stress often have a better ability to um, have what's called emotional flexibility, meaning they're able to identify and understand like the various emotions that come with stress and like delineate between those, which can be a very positive thing because you're less likely to do something dumb and push through like an injury because you can understand that, oh, no, this pain or feeling I have means injury. It doesn't mean just push through. Well, someone who's maybe more primed to like be quote unquote tough or old school toughness might not, they'll be like, oh, I can push through anything. And then they end, end up hurt and out for six months when they should have just stopped. Mm. That makes sense. I also think, this is, I'm talking about myself here. I think <laughs> sometimes um, like you'll worry so much about, or try to practice the quote unquote mental toughness, those skills so much that it almost like 
riles up your brain that you're like not doing enough, which spirals into almost making it worse. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. And that's why it's a, it, it's almost like that perfectionist mindset as well, where if we try and be perfect and focus on something all the time, then our brain kind of gets the, the signal that like, oh, I'm going to almost over pay attention to this stuff. So that's why with mental skill stuff, I'm always about like pick your spots. So if you're driving yourself nuts during every worst workout, trying to be like, oh, I need to work on this, this and this, that's the wrong thing to do. Sometimes you just need to get through the workout and not, you know, um, fatigue your brain from like being overactive. So pick your spots. When I was, you know, as a coach of runners, often what I try and do is, you know, give some instructions on, you know, what they should focus on mentally. Um, in addition to like, hey, you're doing 800 meter repeats, like let's let's run them in 230. Some workouts I'll be like, just get through it however you need to see fit. Other workouts I'll be like, you know what, on rep number three or four of six, I want your mind, I want you to like go to that bad place and then figure out if you can get out of that. Like go to those doubts and then see if you can, you know, work your way through it. And if you can't on this one, whatever, it's not a big deal. But if we tried to do that every single time, we'd go nuts. So it's about that balance, I think. Hmm. That makes sense. I know that one conversation that you and I have a lot, Meg, is that I don't think you have to deal with it as much with runners because I think a lot of us are self-motivated and have a desire to achieve things. But you hear in society a lot right now, there's a lot of emphasis put on rest and don't, you know, don't overexert yourself, which we, we find can give people two messages. It could either give people the, you don't need to try so hard and just, you know, watch another TV show or, uh, you know, that where do, do you think, because you're working with so many athletes that you are used to dealing with people who are motivated to achieve things and you're I, not even talking to the people that are having trouble getting off the couch. That that's that is a brilliant point, um, and I think with athletes, what we often have to do is hold them back and keep them from doing dumb things. <laughs> so we em emphasize rest, especially with runners, but we emphasize rest because like our tendency is to go the opposite direction. It's just work, work, work. I think if your natural inclination is not to be motivated to do some of these difficult things, then the opposite occurs. Right, we have to get them in a good space. Actually, I was, I was talking to um, a a good friend the other day who essentially said, you know, um, he was talking about coaching, you know, young kids, and he said, you know, this one kid said, like, hey, coach, I I think I'm a I think I'm gonna die. My legs are on fire. And this coach was, or this kid was, I don't know, 10, 11. and he was like, no, that's that's like you're just working out hard for the first time ever. <laughs> You've never experienced this. And that reminded me of, um, you know, sometimes if people haven't been put in these p situations, we need to do the opposite, which is like nudge, not shove, but nudge them, like experience discomfort, experience like that anxiety. Because again, it's like the being out of shape alarm. If we've never experienced it, our alarm is going to be hypersensitive. So we're going to think we're going to be dying when our legs are just feel a little bit of, of lactic or burn or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
So we have to do the opposite, which is put people in a position to do hard things or difficult things. Because if we don't, we kind of default to that avoidance state, which isn't a good spot. Do you think this old school um, mentality of, of toughness is going away? Or do you think it's still pretty prevalent? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think in some certain sectors, it's it's coming down and going away. But in others, it's still there. You know, um, there's still that proclivity to, you know, I'll give you an example. In the college sport world, it, with team sports often, there's still that idea that, you know, the strength and conditioning coach should be used as the person who inflicts punishment for being like two minutes late or, you know, losing the game or what have you. And especially at the high school level, but even college level, that still exists. So I think there's pockets of it. Um, and then broader than sport, I think, again, the same thing occurs is a lot of times you're seeing, you know, this is a little generational, but you see people, adults call the next generation soft a lot. And it's like, oh, they can't do these difficult things and what have you. And I think maybe there's a little truth in certain situations. But, you know, I'll tell you this. I was researching for this book and I was looking at like what old football coaches said. And there was this wonderful piece of like in a book from like, I don't know, 1910. And it was this football coach complaining about the kids being too soft in 1910. <laughs> <laughs> so... To me, that tells me, yeah, Yeah. to to me, that tells me a little bit of this generational, but it also tells me it's like, well, if you think you're too soft and you're the adult, like, have you put them in the place to explore what difficult things are and like given them this freedom and space to, you know, go play pickup football and not be under, you know, adult supervision so that they can learn what it's like to maybe win, lose, and get an argument with their friends and navigate and, and come to the other side of it. Yeah. I also think, you know, it, it'll be interesting when we look back on this generation right now that we think is a little soft. <laughs> they, I mean, they got, they've gone through a pandemic. They've gone through some really, really tough things that we don't really give them credit for. So, uh, you know, it is easy, you know, w- when you see like a machine gun Kelly with his pink hair and a, and a, a you know, a, whatever you call it, crop top on, be like, oh, these guys are soft. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's, I think that, it, like you said, it, we it's easy to judge from another perspective, but I, I think they're going through quite a, quite a bit. But that's my two cents. I don't know. <laughs> No, I I agree. And I think the pandemic, I mean, when else has this happened where it's like kids were out of school for six months and had to navigate not seeing (laughs) friends and being stuck at home and all this stuff. So I I think you're spot on. I think the challenges are just just a little bit different every generation. But every generation's got their own struggles where they got to develop some resilience through that stuff. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. And it's kind of a there's a good transition and we'll start to wrap things up. But um you know, it's one of the things I, I was taking away from the book. It's it's not so much about doing hard things. I think it's about navigating and experiencing hard feelings and, and emotions and stuff and and how to uh, use them for, for performance in this case, how to, how to up your performance. But like we said in the beginning, also how you are as a, a business person or how you are as a parent and not necessarily just for running, but it... it the thing I'm taking away is that 
the sitting and experiencing and then like you said not reacting but responding is is the hardcore message in the book is that am i getting the message you are spot on and i'm so glad you got the message because the title of the book is really just to get people to read it but the 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 underlying message is that exactly it's about navigating experience and sitting with it and when we can learn to do that good things happen and i guess the, the story i like to tell that sums that up is so my wife is a elementary school um teacher and literacy specialist and she'd always tell me that like you know why kids throw tantrums when they're five years old in in a classroom and i'm like i have no idea and she'd be like because often they experience something that creates anxiety discomfort this barrage of feelings and they've never experienced that before and they have no idea what it means or how to deal with it so they just like freak out and throw a tantrum <laughs> and your job isn't to be like don't throw a tantrum it's to be like okay how do i teach this kid like hey maybe that anxiety you feel from getting selected last in kickball like that's not the end of the world you're gonna be okay like here's how you navigate that and i think although we're talking about five six-year-olds or, or kindergartners or whatever i think the same thing applies to the rest of us which is we have a choice we can freak out and throw that tantrum or you can train learn how to navigate things and like make sense of that and realize oh is this a real feeling that i should be upset about or is this just kind of like not big deal not a big deal and i should move on awesome i love it um okay steve are are you racing anything or is anything coming up for you that's a good question. I am not racing anything upcoming. I'm just trying to stay in good enough shape where I have the option to, if that suffices, because it's like 100 degrees in Texas right now. So um, I'm just trying to survive and, and do my workouts and my runs without dying of heat exhaustion right now. Are you doing them all at Junction? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, I know that Megan normally has end of podcast, podcast questions. questions. I already know the answer to number one, though. I'm going to ask it anyway. All right. Headphones or no headphones on a solo run? Oh, no headphones. Okay, no so like headphones. ever? Sorry. Never. So I never. I used to, way back when I was getting started running, this will date me, but I had <laughs> like, you know, an old MP3 player and, you know, it was way too big. But I used to have headphones on, but... Ever since, I think, later in high school and college, I've almost never run with headphones. I will go on walks occasionally with headphones to listen to audiobook and podcasts. If you listen to, you know, stuff, I'm not hating you. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> give yourself some space occasionally every once in a while to, to do it without the music or the book or the podcast. I'm not going to lie. This morning, um, I always listen to music for my workouts, and I left my headphones at the office, and I was, like, devastated this morning. And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Steve said this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I, It's an opportunity. Yeah. You know, take advantage of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, what is your post-race celebratory meal or beverage? Oh, gosh. Um, that's a really good question. I don't have anything specific, although I love Tex-Mex food. So anything like that is great. A after a race, my stomach like mm. is fine, so I can eat anything. And normally it's just like 
eat whatever I can. And I'm not opposed. Often after races is when I'll I'll have like ice cream, desserts, whatever. Because I'm like, I just raced. I'm good. So <laughs> normally it's normally it's something like, you know, unhealthy that, you know, I shouldn't have a lot of, but I feel okay about it. So alcoholic beverage or no alcoholic beverage, like a beer or something. Um, yeah, I, you know, it depends on the race. Like some uh, often if I'm, you know, did it with others or I am celebrating with others, it's like go back with a beer and, you know, just hang out. Yeah. Okay, the last question we have for you. Normally, we're we talk to a lot of professional athletes, and so we're asking what they would be doing. And you wear you do a lot of things, so this question is a little harder. But if you weren't a coach or writer, author, what would you be doing? <laughs> That's a good question. I think I have too many hats to yeah. tell you. Um, <laughs> you know, I just love helping people get better, so. Anything that allows me to kind of do that, and I think hopefully, as you as you pointed out in the book, is I try and take a very broad lens. So maybe if I wasn't in the running world, I'd be doing the same thing with, I don't know, someone trying to perform in, in some other area. I think performance is performance. So that's kind of my cop-out answer, but <laughs> I don't know. Beyond, beyond the things writing, running, you know, coaching helping people out i have no idea so awesome i i'll tell you this i, I know i couldn't be a teacher because watching my wife <laughs> teach i'm just like i couldn't do it so yeah wrangling 25 year olds sounds difficult yes exactly 25 like not 20, 25 i know in the <laughs> okay. audiobook you got to listen for that because it's wrangling 25 year olds and you're like oh what no 20 <laughs> kindergartners um, there, we there go. you go. But hey, so we normally, I'm going to ask you in, in, um, well, wait, first I'm going to give it a little disclaimer to our audience. I know some of you probably hear Steve Magnus and you want to hear about what happened at Nike and all that stuff. We didn't really want to cover that because it's been covered so well in so many other places, including, uh, Rich Roll. Um, that podcast was great. So if you want to get into that and hear Steve talk about that, I totally recommend you check out that podcast. It's fascinating. Uh, but yeah, we kind of just felt like the story's been told and didn't need to rehash it. I will tell you, uh, it, your posts and your Instagram posts, um, you know, they're they're great. I love having those in my feed. Just it's a little nugget every once in a while. It, it seems like they end up coming at a time where, like, I could use that little bit of advice. So I, I really appreciate it. A lot of times when I have to give weekly check-ins, I'll just go to the Steve Magnus <laughs> Instagram account and just see what he was talking about and try to throw one of those out there. So uh, I appreciate it. I, I love it. I'm glad someone's someone's reading them. That'll give me the motivation to keep doing social media. Oh, yeah, you have to. You got you to gotta keep that coming. <laughs> um, if someone has not already purchased your book, where should they go pick it up? You know, you can get it anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your lo local bookstore, wherever you like it. However you like it, Audible's fine as well. So as long as you read it and hopefully take something away from it, um, that's what I'm all about. All right. Are you already working on your next book? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just I'm just trying to survive right now. So get, get, get through book launch and then, then I'll probably... Okay. I just saw the desk, it's, the desk tips had you stack up some books over there for your next writing project. It, I, I, I've got... I, I'll tell you, this is the inside look. I've got a couple notebooks started with ideas. 
I'm not I'm not focused on one yet. I'm just like exploring like crazy and and hopefully one of those couple ideas becomes the next one. I'm just going to throw an idea out there. How can Thomas do better in life? Just, it's it's a small audience, but I guarantee at least one will get sold. Get you know, someone will be satisfied. So, yeah. uh, you know, maybe that'll be it. Yeah. All right, uh, Steve, thanks so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Um, it was great to learn some more about the book and a little bit more about you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Steve was probably... There's been a couple guests that we've had on that just make it so easy to talk yeah. to. And I just love talking to Steve. And he's just so knowledgeable. Like, you believe everything he's saying because you know it's all science-backed and researched. And You know, you're right about that. Like, if he just said some nonsense, I would have yeah. been like, mm, that's the truth. Huh? He's a learned man. Yeah. Yeah. There is no commonwealth ever. <laughs> is he a doctor? Is he a learned doctor? Um, I, I would have guessed that he comes from a family of learned doctors, okay. but I don't know. <laughs> By the way, I feel like we had talked about this last week. We need to come out with our pop culture list of movies that are must-watch movies to understand Believe in the Run and yeah. what we're talking about. It's mostly just Will Ferrell. Pretty much. I mean, we lean heavy on it. I feel Somehow. like I feel like the next generation is losing out because they don't have any good comedy. We need films. to find out what this generation's into. I know. I mean, the last real funny, like younger generation movie I would say was Super Bad. Yeah, I, I mean, there has to be something. Since, like, what do kids quote like, these days? Is it just like Rick and Morty and like? You can, yeah, you can't. They don't. They just don't make fun. Well, of Well, I think anymore. you should. I think you should leave. Is has been fairly popular where a lot of people quote that. But yeah, he, and he but he was also used to be on SNL a writer. Well, what's really weird also is um, my youngest son, who's eleven. Yeah, he listens to all classic rock and roll. Weird, and I don't know. Where and they he's just watch stuff on from. YouTube. Yeah. Can you even quote stuff on YouTube? Is no, it, it's like uh, it's too specific. Well, it's like gamers that do stuff. So, or Mr. Beast. Yeah, like I guess we just got to say things like no cap. Yeah. Oh, bet, bet, sus. Okay, yeah. we right. should just you gotta talk. You gotta talk in one syllable. Like I swear, my youngest all he'll answer is meh. Yeah. How, how do you like the food that we just got? Meh. 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 all right so remember to subscribe and like this comment and please leave a review like this comment did i say that yeah you said i meant like uh like or comment yeah missed a word in there it's fine people get it yeah and tell all your friends about this amazing podcast that you get to listen to next week we're going to talk about gluten-free bread make sure you tune in are we no No. No. i was like i'm not doing that yeah we're not recording yeah um hey and uh thanks for brandon for chopping this up and getting it out uh anybody you want to thank robbie i didn't but i do want to shout out to my sister who has never been she's run and she does like 5k's girls on the run but i challenge her to do 50 miles for the month and she did it she nailed it for grit she did 55 she finished What's her name sherry sherry yeah congrats sherry and she just finished off with uh like a almost seven mile run on her last day which is the furthest she's ever run farthest and she's gonna do baltimore half that's yeah. no joke i remember the first time i did a six mile run yeah and i didn't drink the night before <laughs> i was like <laughs> i gotta get prepared for this it's yeah. gonna be a long one yeah. uh, and i was at a wedding 
You remember that though? Oh yeah, it, I remember. It. It's it, it's it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, but that's awesome. But I was telling her, she, I was like, you can do a half. You're already like, you're already yeah halfway through marath- half marathon training. You might as well just keep going. Plus, we can give her stuff like, you know, to make sure she has a great time. Yeah. T- so and then I was like, do you need Kimmy, my wife, to <laughs> to run with you? Do you want me to convince her? I was like, Kimmy, you got her on the half. She's like. <laughs> so she's gonna i think she's gonna run it with her nice yeah that's That'd awesome the um and yeah i guess I, we should thank everybody who participated in grit yeah such sure. a, it was such a fun event it's so motivating to get through like the dead of the summer for me i know i wouldn't do the kind of running i do uh during that month without the support of everybody who's doing it with me it's fun to watch you guys posting and you know putting up your final miles and everything like that where Super proud that we get to be part of your journey. And it's amazing to us how many people, you know, get out there and get after it. Yeah, definitely. All right. You probably want to say. Hi, Ma. Yeah, that's it. 